I mean, like we talked about before, MLK, Malcolm X, these were considered terrorists. I mean, these words are so dangerous and people regurgitate them without even understanding what they mean and what they can mean for the future. Sorry, Charlie, I get worked up. <laughs> no, the, the, this this is the... We have, like you said, it's we have to be very careful with words. You know, you think, oh, well, there's just words. But the designation of these words, this domestic terrorist push... We saw, I mean, we saw the Patriot Act. We saw what happened in 9-11. They just dusted off the Patriot Act and put it on the on the president's desk. You know, it was pre-written. The, the, the idea that there aren't, there's not a, a, a legislation this thick on domestic terrorism sitting on some desk somewhere in some psychopath's office in the Pentagon, I, it, it just has to be. And, and we can see, we, you can almost... Because of what we do, now we're not, we don't have a crystal ball, but we don't really need one. We, we're pretty good at recognizing patterns. And we've seen these things happen over and over again, where it's like you get lured, something happens, then they label that group, and then legislation rolls out a little too quick for most people's uh, taste that immediately targets that group with some sort of, you know, rendition, uh, I don't know, a censorship it starts with demonization obviously and then the next thing you know you just let the masses take over where where you're just the government doesn't have to do much of anything except just let the people try to shame you and we see this happening in social media and there's nobody left to defend themselves all these domestic terrorists that were on twitter are all gone <laughs> so now they're they're not in a position to say hang on a second i'm just criticizing the government i'm not out there with god i'm not starting a revolution i'm just saying that these people are cocksuckers but we don't even they're not even allowed to say that anymore because they don't exist. So it's a very dangerous time in America. And I, and I, would, I would assume that once the rest of the world gets a look at, at how we do it, they'll say, oh yeah, we want some of that too. Let's start going after the domestic terrorists in our country or in the EU in, in general. So it, it, it seems like a concept that's going to get exported. I just feel um, oh, go ahead. real quick that I just feel like one, like they already do that with people. I mean, free speech in some countries. I mean, look what's going on in Russia. That guy spoke up and now he's arrested. So, I mean, like this is what's coming to the United States is what you see uh, in a lot of the rest of the world. Um, but my whole opinion is, is that I am happy that we are all diversifying our platforms and how we get information out. I, I, you know, it's like iconic. I mean, like, look at that. I mean, the, putting out their own product. I think we should all do that. And so when, so that they can't silence all of us. And I'm just sorry. I mean, we have some one all to, collectively. We have some amazing followers, people who love our content, man. But if you're only going to go to these couple places to get your information, you are as bad as the people causing the problems, man. If you are on YouTube and you know that they are silencing your favorite people, and you won't just simply go to your address bar and put in a different address to go watch a video, then you are part of the problem, okay? Because we can't play there anymore. What we're saying, which is truth, and truth is scary now. We're living in a world where truth is scary, okay? Facts are now Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger, and everybody's trying to run from them. And that's really what's going on. And what's going on in the rest of the world? Like, I'm really in this place where it's like, you know, it's like, I know that we there's American troops in Syria right now. And I would do anything to stop it. I can't say 
they're my troops. I'm just, I'm a guy. I've, like I don't, I've done everything I can to, to do that. They're not my. This is the international banking cabal, and they've they've taken U.S. military and turned it into stormtroopers. And I get as mad at them. I get as mad as Americans as I do. Like is Israelis who are like, what say do they have in that in in what their government's doing? I mean, I'm sorry, man. It's just like they're they're getting bombarded with propaganda, and good luck on trying to stop anything that your government is doing. I mean, we have gotten to the place, and maybe this is how it's always been, but we do not have government that is respondent to the people, and that's I don't. How do we fight that? That's the question. You know, I have so. an idea. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are doing this already, but. Especially guys like you, Sam, uh, you know, Ricky, you have a pretty big following. I don't know about the rest of you guys. I, you know, I'll definitely be checking out your podcasts. But if you have a following, I feel like it's our duty to just talk to your people and tell them, are you using DuckDuckGo? Are, are you mindlessly still just using Google because it's a habit? Are you using Cookie Auto Delete? in Mozilla Firefox. What, are you using Google Chrome? Are you crazy? You know, if we don't tell people there's an, there's an alternative, um, you know, ad blocking software, you know, pre preventing cookies from tracking you across websites you visit, uh, telling people, incentivizing people to go to your website to consume your content. So, I mean, I know some guys, they will put out an hour of the podcast. I think, Sam, maybe you do it. You put out an hour of the podcast and you tell folks, look, just come to the website, catch the, the other hour or whatever. Give them a freebie. Uh, there, there's a million ways to incentivize people to come to, to the website because your website, it's like a hell of a lot harder to shut down than your YouTube channel, your Twitter account. So I, I even had an idea for, for, for a podcast episode is just to go over some rudimentary ways to protect your privacy. So like literally uh, installing DuckDuckGo on your phone for your searches and, you know, on all your browsers, switching to, to an alternative to from Google. So, you know, Brave or Firefox. It's none of these things are perfect solutions, but if we can nudge some people down that path and then they can nudge someone else. Like, for example, I had my mom installed Telegram today. Uh, or yesterday on her phone. So a little bit of an ordeal, but it's done, right? So if you can get five people to install Telegram and, and start chatting with them there instead of WhatsApp, that's that's a tangible, you know, something we're doing, right? So that's kind of my two cents there. To jump in, I totally agree with you, Christian, what you're saying there about using alternative software, alternative platforms. One of the major problems we have is that the re you know one of the reasons why Google is number one is because their stuff works and it's good and it's convenient for people. Same with YouTube, you know, it's, it's it is the best operating video platform out there, and people will just go will will always just take the path of least resistance. And this is part of the problem we have. And the the second part is the problem we have is what we saw with Parler when Amazon removed web hosting. So literally, we're all gonna we're all gonna have to end up with our own blooming server farms, and just be little isolated islands of information because none of us are untouchable. 
Yeah, well, it's totally a shame that. Sorry, it's just a, sh a shame that, that that Jay just went because he could speak on that when we first launched Iconic. Um, it was me, him, Gaz, and a, another lady that works in the office, and um, Gaz Gareth Hike. Um, and we had all our stuff on Vimeo. And I said to to Gaz, I was like, um, Jay, just get get it off Vimeo and get your own server built. And luckily, we did start building our own server pretty much straight away. And lo and behold, David spoke about 5G possibly ever maybe being connected to Corona in some sort of way, possibly given the same same um, the same outcomes or the same same symptoms. And on London Real, and not only did David get shut down from everywhere, we got shut down. We paid for an, a a a, um, a Vimeo account. We paid the whole year. We paid for everything. They took every one of our videos down, so our whole library, I think it was about nine months into building it. Luckily, we'd, we'd already backed it up, and we were about to launch our own server a couple of weeks later. And that was an early version, and this was done about a year ago now. No, sorry, about last March. Yeah, so, yeah 10 months ago. And um, so this is what they will do, and, and this has been going on for a long time. Obviously, Dave has been shut off from every every social media. I got chucked off of Twitter last week. I have no allegiance with Trump. Trump's, is, to me, is a Jesuit. Biden's a Jesuit. Bloody does it does it matter in the UK we have we have Boris Johnson who's a Zionist and we have Keir Starmer shouting him who's a Zionist. This is how it works. And I don't think people understand these things. But so I got chucked off for, for showing the video of the Trump supporters and the couple of Antifa being let in through the side door of the Capitol. And I got purged. And I've constantly been saying Trump is black nobility, possibly, and a Jesuit, and he's not going to do any of this stuff. And I still got chucked off. And I was like, that's quite amazing to me. Luckily, no one really listens to me anyway, so I didn't lose any people. But the fact is that that I got chucked off. I was like, "How did I get chucked off?" It's quite amazing because I was no, I was blatantly talking against Trump for ages, saying that he's done all these things. He's given Israel everything they ever wanted. He's put a bloody embassy in Jerusalem. He's probably he's he's helping them build the Solomon's Temple on Temple Mount. I was saying all of these things where he's going with it. But I got chucked off. And as we were saying earlier, even if you happen to talk out against the, 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 the establishment, although you're not on the other side of it, you're getting stuck in the middle. And I think us guys are realizing now that, that what I've kind of realized is Twitter is a cult with Facebook. So you've got your left woke on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You've got your right on Gab, your, your patriots and your few followers now on Gab, possibly Parler if it ever comes back. But then us guys in the middle going, they're both a bit shit. Where do we go? And that's that's where the truth is, unfortunately. Where do we go? And that's where we're getting censored and we're going to get pushed down. And I think that's right. We're all going to need to kind of diversify. It's a little bit like you can't stamp, stamp on all the ants if all the ants are all over the place in the garden. But if we all get together, then it's easier to grab them. And I think what Sam was saying, we need to kind of be over here and a bit over there and a bit over there and um, be organized chaos, possibly. Um, that's what I think the future is for us. We can all tell the same narrative, but we all kind of come together on something like this. But I'm on Library, I'm on Gab, I'm on Parler when it comes back, I'm on Iconic, which is a played-for platform. It's a, it's a Netflix for this sort of content with the business built behind it so we can, be, we can pay for content to be made and earn a living doing this. That's the future. But having your own server is incredibly important to keep your own stuff because as the gas has just popped up, we lost all of our content overnight, and it actually was nothing to do with Iconic at all. Um, but luckily, we, we, we had backed it up, and we saw this coming, and I Rich, think other people haven't. Rich, can you go into um, as much detail as possible in regards to costs 
implications in regards to building your own server? That would be where Jay comes in. He's the business brain behind it. I'm the, I'm the filmmaker and the video producer. Gaz might know more, a bit more than me about building your own server and how much it takes because he's in the office far more than I, I am. I'm stuck out at the seaside with no friends in my um, little outhouse sending <laughs> videos across. So, Gaz, yeah. do you, you've got yeah, anything to bring on that? Uh, not really. Um, I'll be honest with you, Rich. I'm, I'm, I'm basically in the outhouse within the office. Um, where the sort of computer sort of techie guys kind of go, yeah, we'll tell him, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a tree. Off you go. Um, and kind of, I just, yeah, like that really. So I don't know in terms of cost, I'm not sure. I don't think it's cheap though. I don't think it's cheap at all. Um, well saying then, that guys, we've just moved into a new office, haven't you? And you've got a whole room, a huge room for the servers. So it ain't cheap, put it that way. No, it's, it's strange. The size of it actually was a bit sort of beyond me really um but then it's also kind of to do with different so with davidike.com um it's weird where things are hosted um in terms of as much as people think the uk is free it's really not at all and obviously when this harms bill um comes in it will be out the window because who defines what harms you know <laughs> which is why it's sort of disconcertingly vague um so obviously we're in a position where we're trying to host in various different places as well. So that if you get ripped down, then um, you've always got, you know, it's almost like you want to be like whack-a-mole basically. That's the plan. Well, well, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, the Union of Unwanted episode 14, we did a whole show with uh, people from Odyssey, Library, uh, Float, Content Safe, Rockfin, um, a bunch of people together, alternative platforms and whatnot, and then we gathered them to kind of talk about the future of technology. How do we fight this? How do we deal with it? Mike's actually our kind of tech guy in the Union of the Unwanted. Uh, out of the host, he, he's uh, he might be able to kind of input some some info in regards to what something we're talking about. I think Mike, you are, you kind of got away in the middle of this conversation, but it had to do with servers. We we're kind of just discussing how hard and how expensive expensive it is to kind of do your own server thing and kind of get away from the having dependency on anybody else. Well, it just really depends on what type of application you want to run. If you want to buy your own physical server, that's going to cost money in addition to the electricity and the cooling that you have to provide, the air conditioning. So how many servers are you going to buy to, to service your infrastructure? Like today, I, I'm setting up my own cluster right now. I'm deploying my own cluster with its own servers and I'm doing that through um, a service called Linode, or you can do it through DigitalOcean, uh, or you can do it through Amazon Web Services. But as we found out, Amazon Web Services, they don't really uh, like all content. <laughs> so um, having your own service is probably the best way if you've got the money and the ability to cool them and service them and hire on-premises technicians um, for longevity. You want to live in the cloud somewhere, probably uh, in the ocean, if you have servers in the ocean or in some country that is not uh, too snoopy on or care about what you do or put out. So probably Russian servers. That's where Parler's going is Russia. It's like a digital version of hiding your money in the Cayman Islands, isn't it? You're going to just hide your tech in, in somewhere offshore yeah. so they I can't mean, get it. Yeah, so I, I believe Google actually has a, a, a floating servers um, so it's not unlike the uh, C, uh, like 
putting together your own liber- libertarian anarchist colony out in the middle of international waters where there's no law but your own on the flotilla. You just put servers out there. The problem is running fiber out there and and making sure that it is able to communicate with the rest of the network. So um, decentralizing right now is probably the, the best way to go and keeping your applications as mobile as possible, dockerizing them, using the latest and greatest open source technologies to ensure that your your app can go up on the internet quickly if it's ever taken down. And that's what I'm working on right now. So if it if I get taken off of DigitalOcean or, uh, or GoDaddy, doesn't matter. I got my app, I'll just throw it up on Linode or someplace else, reroute my URL, and I'm back up in 12 hours. It sounds like pirate radio all over again. Exactly, it, it is. Yeah. But the funny the thing with days. that, then... Is, is obviously pirate radio was where all the talent was and where everyone was interested in listening to stuff. And so everyone tuned into pirate radio. And then in the end, they kind of half sold out most of them and moved to the BBC and places like that. I wonder if that's what will happen in the end. If this site alternative, you know, whether the mainstream will come cap in hand. Um, can we have some content, please? Well, the last resort. I mean, the, the one, the hurdle that is, that is probably the most secure in the long run would be ham radio. You can you can send internet signals over ham radio signals that can be interpreted, and you can have your decentralized internet over ham. It's just that is a difficult. It's it's the learning process to do that is is fairly high. The bar is fairly high to learn that kind of stuff. But I think there's enough tutorials out there, and if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I don't have a ham radio operator's license to hook in my internet and start serving web pages through a ham signal. Um, it's something I would like to do, but it's probably going to take me like three years to kind of build that and learn how to do it. By the who way, who provides the you know, uh, licenses? Sorry, for for ham radio as well. I mean, who's providing that license? Well, there you go. That's the <laughs> got to go to the uh, FCC or get your broadcast license uh, through whatever government organization that issues that. Yeah. Yeah. So know, Proton Mail. Proton Mail are coming out with um, storage. Encrypted storage. So maybe if if they get enough requests from users that we want, like a you know a content distribution network for them to host, maybe they would be willing to you know create the infrastructure where you can host your content there, encrypted or maybe not even encrypted, whatever, and uh, just have a, a lightweight front end. Like it might even be hosted on GoDaddy or whatever. And you just serve the content from from you know distributed CDNs around the world. Yeah, and I think we have to take in consideration too that some of the justifications governments use to censor media are the same justifications they use in China and all these other places that we don't realize we're turning into. It's always to protect you. It's because we're protecting you. It's because we're protecting you. And people are just like, yeah, it's because it's hate speech or it's because of this type of speech or that type of speech. Like I always say, you fight, you know, bad ideas with good ideas. You don't censor them. You And even though I, I agree that like Twitter is kind of becoming a left wing echo chamber and parlor, you can make the argument as a right wing echo chamber but i'm much more okay with those echo chambers if they don't censor anybody if parlor stays true to not censoring anybody if they're not censoring the people from the left then i'm okay with that you know so uh, i think that's the other thing too is like i don't mind being somewhere where it's dominated by one idea or another idea as long as none of them are being censored so that's that's a huge issue 
I want to get back to Sirius. Sorry about this, Vanessa. I wanted to ask you, is, you know, at the beginning of um, the election of Donald Trump, there was a couple videos that came out that explained that a big part of what's going on in Syria is that they found oil in Qatar and they wanted to be able to get a pipeline. And the quickest way to get a pipeline, I think, to the Baltic Sea was through part of Syria. And that, but Syria didn't want that because their their trade partners and allies with Russia, and that if that pipeline went through, then they would that would be the oil and energy that goes to Europe, and Russia gives Europe twenty five percent of its uh, energy, and that would devastate Russia's economy. Uh, is that what this is? It oil? Is it or is this another thing to destabilize? that area to try to bring in Iran, try to bring in Russia for a World War III. What are your thoughts on all that? Because here we go again, what seemed to be like 40 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, this has been ongoing uh, for 10 years, of course. And Obama uh, actually pretty much started it with uh, Clinton. Um, Resources are a major part, but when you look at Syria geographically, uh, they had already previously destroyed, of course, um, Libya and Iraq. Uh, Jordan is effectively still a British colony. Uh, Lebanon now has been under attack economically for some time, and then with the Beirut blast last year, finally decimated their economy. Their economy now is actually in a worse shape than Syria's. Um, so Syria, if you like, was the last bastion of independent governance uh, in the region that hadn't yet been uh, targeted with their color revolution and their regime change um, project. We know, of course, from the Bush and Blair emails in 2001 and again in 2003 that were revealed in the um, Chilcot inquiry that uh, they had already been planning a different relationship with Syria if, if it came into line. And of course, the refusal, as you mentioned, of the Qatari uh, US-backed pipeline um, bringing uh, fuel into uh, Europe and Assad's refusal in favor of the Iranian-Russian uh, uh, project, of course, was the final straw, but it also was because uh, Syria refused to relinquish uh, the Palestinian issue. Uh, it refused to demand that Hezbollah leave Syrian territory. Of course, Hezbollah grew out of uh, effectively the refugees from Palestine that fled and settled inside Syria, and then Hezbollah grew out of that. So there is no way on earth that Syria was going to demand that they leave. And, of course, they have a long-standing alliance with Iran and with Russia. Russia has had a military base in Tartus on the coastal area of Syria for the last 50 years. So, you know, this is, this is not news to Syria. Plus, of course, it was developing the Five Seas project with China. So, effectively, Syria was uh, the hub for all of uh, the, the global powers that were threatening a U.S. unipolarity, U.S. supremacy, and not only that, but Israeli security. This is the most important thing, because in my view, that for example, the recent Pompeo uh, 
utterances that, you know, war with Iran, Iran is protecting Al-Qaeda, etc. This isn't really about Iran directly. What this is about is targeting Syria under the excuse, under the pretext of targeting Iran inside Syria, because what they want is dominance over Syria, which will give full security and full spectrum dominance to Israel in the region. It will isolate Iran because it will push Iran out of Syria, right? And it will cut the land route through the, through the Middle East from Iraq, for example, and down to Palestine. That's Israel's greatest fear here. They don't want Iran to have any sort of uh, further influence in Syria, i.e. land access to the border with the occupied Golan territories. Of course, Golan is also another aspect of this conflict. And of course, resources, in my view, is not only um, oil. Uh, Israel takes 30% of its water from the Golan, the occupied Golan. So water is another hugely important aspect of this war. Turkey, a NATO member state, has been cutting off water. In fact, I believe the drought in 2009, which was the precursor of this war, was engineered by Turkey because Turkey has control effectively over the northern, uh, the northern territory water supply in Syria. And we know that because in Hasekere, of course, Turkey has been regularly, and the SDF, have been cutting off uh, the Aluk power st uh, water station and depriving, I think it's around one million people in Haskar of water. So, you know, Syria is, is a, <laughs> it's a vast subject and it's very complex, but effectively America is not going to give up on this project, in my opinion. No way. How, how much does foreign policy in America immediately influence the UK and, and the propaganda you guys are seeing. I mean, it seems like it's almost par always parallel. I remember when we went to Iraq, it was like the same stuff that they were selling us here. They're selling you the same stuff in the UK. I mean, does that always seems seem to be the case where it's just like they're basically the same foreign policy? Well, I think, sorry, if I can just quickly say there, um, in my opinion, um, the UK is running the intelligence operations against Syria, for sure. And in the, the recent... UK? Uh, did you say UK? Sorry? But I asked, did you say UK? Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because if you look at the recent UK Foreign Office document leak, both um, in relation to Lebanon and in relation to Syria, um, the UK has spent uh, millions on supporting uh, the armed groups, and those include Al-Qaeda, Jaish al-Islam, some of the most brutal and violent armed groups are operating inside Syria, of course, funded, equipped, etc., by the US coalition. But it's the British that, in my opinion, were behind the intelligence operations. That means the media, the publicity support for the armed groups, um, the, the whitewashing of crimes, the creation of the white helmets, for example, to act as humanitarian cover for the armed groups and also to produce the weapons of mass destruction, uh, equivalent the, the chemical weapon attacks inside Syria. Of course, that is now all unraveling real time with the recent OPCW scandals, the coming forward of experts that were part of the OPC, OPCW team 
exposing the OPCW itself as a, as a compromised organization, heavily influenced, of course, by the UK, the US, um, and Canada in particular, to retrospectively justify uh, the unlawful aggression led by the US, the UK, and France after the Duma alleged chemical attacks in uh, April 2018. So the, the, if, you, if you look deep enough, the British intelligence have been uh, absolutely pivotal to this regime change war in Syria. And going back to 2009, Roland Dumas, the former French foreign minister, told us in 2013 that British uh, agents had effectively contacted him and said, look, you know, if Assad won't play ball, we're going to effectively finance armed groups inside Syria to overthrow the government. Uh, the CIA operation, Timber Sycamore. I, as I say, the, the evidence is, is glaringly obvious that this was an intelligence operation that was planned well in advance. There were various options. There were plan A and plan B. Uh, and obviously when Assad consistently refused to play ball with them, they went for plan A, which was regime change. But the British are, are, are you know, I don't think it's a case of um, the the UK following the US, I would almost say the UK is driving policy in Syria. And, and that's been demonstrated on a number of occasions when, for example, Trump, I think the very first time that Trump was kind of talking about getting out of Syria, all of a sudden we had the Han Shehun chemical attack and all of a sudden everybody piled back on again. And that, of course, was orchestrated by the white helmets that were um, originally set up by uh, British uh, military intelligence guy James Lemessurier, but also behind it were other uh, organizations that were being funded by the British uh, Foreign Office to produce these organizations that would infiltrate and produce the propaganda that would criminalize and demonize the Syrian government and its allies. So, no, the, the UK is... is one of the driving forces behind this war. And so therefore, yeah, there will be parallels between US media and UK media, but that's because they're all operating under the same umbrella. I think that's really right. important to not acknowledge is that, that they are all moving. It's a one, it's a, it's yeah. a one big corporation or, or movement or cult or everyone's still moving mm -hmm. in the same direction. I mean, just an example of this, the House of Windsor, obviously descendants of the Merovingians and I mean Prince Charles is is um related bloodline related to Donald Trump Donald Trump's bloodline related to Hillary Clinton they've got it's like the 30 18th grandparents of Hillary Clinton are the same as Donald Trump and people don't realize this in the world is that they are all related they only get to that position because they have set various bloodline this is a cult and I think that's the real key to this is people understanding that all of these divides at that level are all just facades and they don't realize that they are just working as one big unit. And anyone who's done an, any research into the, um, the conspiracies through the years will realize that, yes, if it happens over here, it's happened over there. They're moving as one big unit. And that's yeah. why it does seem like, oh, well, they were just following that. It's actually, it's all orchestrated decades, thousands of years down the line, but it really is quite easy to pick apart once you start to realize that the space, like the black nobility bloodlines, and you look into like the likes of the Jesuits, the Vatican, especially the Black Nobility bloodlines, you realize this is a bloodline thing. This is a bloodline mentality. And so when you see things happening in the UK, 
that, that kind of follow what's happening in the US is because not because it's happening in the UK or the US is because it's it's a cult movement within each country. They then these people aren't only the only racism these people have is that you're the human race and these are a bloodline a lot that don't want you to have anything and they're psychopaths. And I think that people don't understand it on the grand scale is that that there are a, us and them and it really is that simple is that whoever gets in these positions of power because they've been established they established those positions over thousands of years that they are moving all this into one goal and it is a satanic weird cult that have got the most strange and weird beliefs that if you explain them to the to the uh, the average person who doesn't look into any of this stuff it seems mental but it is mental and you can only explain insanity by sounding insane so if I tell you that someone wants to go into the Middle East, into Jerusalem and build a new Solomon's temple and perhaps try and control the planet from there, is that insane? Of course it's bloody insane, but I'm not saying I want to do it. I'm saying that these people want to do it and they're all moving in that direction. And then all of these things come about. So when you see like a regime, like a Trump go out and a Biden come in, it makes no difference. They were all born from the same same mentality. Um and they'll fight amongst each other, possibly. But really, at the end of the day, this plan, this long-held plan over thousands of years is what is really important. And if you get in the way of that, even even Kennedy was was one of the families. The Kennedy, Onassis, they were part of the families. But if you didn't play ball, they'll take you out because it's the plan. And that's, I think, the real crucial thing here is that people don't realise that there is a plan, an agenda that's thousands of years old, and it has very little to do with what we see in the mainstream media and that's why none of it really makes any sense because you don't have the map for the terrain. And to me, the real hard bit here is get to people to understand that they don't care about borders, don't care about countries, they don't care about anything other than this one agenda. And that's basically wipe a load of us out well, and control see, as many people as control as, as much as possible. Branching off of that, of that, I have a question for Vanessa. I was wondering if you since we have somebody here who is an expert in the Middle East, I was wondering if you could fill us in on the gaps or maybe let us know if there is a connection between this Beirut port explosion back in August and what that has to do with, you know, because if you see here in the U.S., fpforeignpolicy.com, they run a headline a couple days ago that says, Syria's hidden hand in Lebanon's port explosion. Now, I don't believe anything that I, I read regarding stuff like that. I was wondering if you could maybe fill in the gaps and explain to us what what was going on there. Hmm. <laughs> well, first of all, that, that investigation was carried out by a guy called Martin Chulo for The Guardian. Now, Martin, I've written a couple of um, articles about him, but one in particular. In my opinion, this guy is very probably um, MI6. Um, he operated inside Syria with groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda when other journalists were being uh, kidnapped and tortured and beheaded, etc. So um, without going too much further into, into his history, it's interesting, but I, I think he's very definitely connected to British intelligence. Um, added to which, um, just prior to this report coming out, interestingly, uh, Anonymous released uh, two uh, document dumps um, relating UK Foreign Office uh, activities infiltrating 
Lebanese uh, high-level intelligence, security, army, police, and government officials. Now, in the first dump, which I think was um, about one month before the second one, they actually warned uh, British intelligence officials uh, inside uh, Lebanon to, to leave because the second dump would be naming people. And interestingly, the British ambassador resigned almost immediately on personal reasons and left Lebanon, as did a number of other operators who had also been instrumental in destabilizing Syria, funded by the British Foreign Office. So the, the timing is interesting that this looks very much like a scramble um, by British intelligence to get back some sort of credibility, knowing because Al-Akbar, one of the biggest Lebanese uh, media outlets, is about to break the story of, of the second leak because they are investigating it, um, connecting Lebanese officials to British uh, organizations running this intelligence operation. So all of this they know is going on in the background, right? So they know that a huge amount of stuff is going to be revealed about British intelligence operations destabilizing Lebanon. So what they quickly want to do is to try, in my opinion, to throw the ball back at Assad, at Syria, just as Biden comes in to try and... I mean, the story has fallen flat on its face. Nobody has actually picked it up because it, it's really shoddy journalism. I think it was Moon of Alabama looked into the company's house papers and they said, yeah, well, this company's been started up, uh, you know, a dozen times. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't connect anything to anything. So it's really shoddy journalism. And you look at who wrote it, you look at who published it, The Guardian, which has been instrumental um, in, in managing narratives uh, in Syria for 10 years. Um, <clears throat> and the Beirut blast, um, in the opinion of many analysts here, for example, and myself, I think was an attempt one, to, to finally, as I said, decimate Lebanese economy because Lebanon, if you like, was the one stalwart. It was the one friendly neighboring country or, or powerful neighboring country um, that, was, that had a good relationship with Syria, albeit historically there had been divisions, there had been issues, etc. Most of them manufactured, of course, externally, but nevertheless they existed. Um, and, of course, it was the main exit route for Syrians. You know, for Syrians um, leaving Syria would go through Beirut. It was the safest exit. Um, and for journalists coming in, same thing. They would fly into Beirut and then get a taxi into Damascus. So combined with um, COVID and the lockdown and then the economic freefall in Lebanon and then finally the Beirut blast, which not only decimated, of course, the, the Lebanese economy, but many of the foodstuffs, et cetera, coming into Syria through Lebanon were coming into the Lebanese port. So this impacted onto Syria. And so um, I think all of this was about destabilizing, destabilizing uh, Lebanon, trying to turn the public against uh, Hezbollah. And of course, that's where, again, where the British Foreign Office intelligence operations come in, because clearly them trying to get influence within the security forces, the intelligence, the, the government officials, including the foreign minister, um, <clears throat> was to effectively um, provide uh, a counter against Hezbollah and to whip up um, 
popular opinion against Hezbollah because, of course, Hezbollah is not only the nemesis of Israel in the region, um, it's the nemesis of the entire U.S. coalition as a result by default. I wanted to get back a little bit. I'm, I'm very glad to hear what Vanessa is saying because it, it has been my contention based on the research I've done for my, my book, Grand Deception, which, which, is, which concerns Russia, that when you dig deep enough, you find out that actually U.S. foreign policy is UK foreign policy. Basically, the relationship appears to be the, the master blaster from, you know, Mad Max, where you have like the big strong guy, but there's an old decrepit tiny guy who's actually telling him where to whack, where to go, what to do. And so, uh, same thing, uh, um, a few years ago, we saw when, um, when there was a drone that went down a uh, U.S. drone went down over uh, uh, close to the to the Iranian uh, territory. Territory, the Iranians took it down, and then Trump said, uh, "We're not going to escalate." He didn't launch the bombing mission in Russia. Uh, shortly after that, uh, the anonymous, which apparently is controlled by um, the FBI, according to WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks hasn't been wrong yet. The anonymous leaked out the cables between the U.S. Uh, British Embassy. The ambassador at the time was Sir Kim Darroch and London Foreign Office. And basically what came out of those cables was that the whole thing was being orchestrated by British intelligence, that uh, they knew that mm, Donald Trump wasn't on board, but Sir Kim Darroch was saying like, we can put people around him, he said, we can flood the zone around Trump, and we can, you know, like, when they manufacture an incident, they can pressure him into launching an attack on Iran. And that was another one, um, another example where it emerged that it's the British intelligence that's running the agenda. And the agenda goes back to, I wouldn't agree with Richard, thousands of years, but it runs back to about 200 years, and it was already at that time that they, they the Mackinder formulated this thing where the, Brit the British Empire had to rule over the uh, world island, over the, over the Eurasian continent. And because you can't do this militarily because it's the largest landmass on Earth, it's like, uh, I don't know what, 60% of the global GDP and mo most of the population of the world is... You can't do it militarily. You have to arrange it so that you can always pit power against power, right? You can always pit Pakistan versus India, Iran versus Iraq, versus Saudi Arabia, Lebanon versus Israel, and so forth. So.
ever look past from what the world wants you to see Do you wanna be you, not who the world wants you to be? Deep inside it's in you, search through your mind there is a key To unlock every door, I've been knocking for years My inner peace released right on the beat I've been fighting this beast we call reality My mother can't afford a meds, another technicality Hope the cancer doesn't spread, causing a fatality on life I hold that gallery tight, those pictures stuck in my head Yeah we used to be close, I was young, my parents separated Visitation time, delegated shelters I would sleep All these dreams I would keep close, watch the roads grow from the concrete Call it hope when that dark and that light finally meet I was broken, yes I still am, wishing I can help but I can I hope you win, and that you live again uh, Open the window, see the world through my eyes Where dreams are signs of hope, dark nights and blue skies Either you sink or swim, crash or you can fly Try to remain true, the world telling me lies Cause the pain runs deep, when you don't have control of your mind Clock's ticking, running out of time I hope you find your way and live long I hope you win, and that you live on Take a shot quickly, let it burn so it can hit me This life is a dream, somebody pitch me I woke up from a bad dream, had my hoodie on I was a teen, slain pain is what I felt I was murdered cause my color, I wish someone would help Now the world knows my name, but the world don't feel my pain And this world will never change, I hope you do Hope they see the good in you, I hope nobody hates your complexion Loves you for being you the world turns, but so many blinded If there's a higher power, let me find it Don't push religion on me So many people, hypocrites, to their own words Preaching, telling me to walk this path When they walk through dirt But I dream real grass When they skip through lines While I'm standing in last place Facing what's right in front of me The light gets brighter, he takes a step I pray for you, my friend, God bless Open the window, see the world through my eyes Where dreams are signs of hope, dark nights and blue skies Either you sink or swim, crash or you can fly Try to remain true, the world telling me lies Cause the pain 